Welcome to Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point, the B2B marketing podcast where we show you the proof in the form of case studies and success stories, and we get straight to the point so you can learn something valuable and get on with your day. Each week, we'll feature a top B2B marketing leader and discuss their revenue-generating strategies. You'll get actionable tips and learn how to accelerate growth through seriously smart marketing. Now it's time to have a look at the proof and get to the point with your hosts and founders of ProofPoint Marketing, Mike and Gabby Grinberg. Welcome, everyone, to Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point. Today on the show, we have another guest from across the pond, Alex Lowe. Alex is the head of enterprise strategy and operations at Lately, a social media management platform that uses artificial intelligence to automatically create dozens of pre-tested social posts from long-form content as well as videos and podcasts. Alex is also the host and founder of a sales podcast called Death of a Salesman, very clever title there. And if you're not following him on LinkedIn, go check him out, give him a follow, send him a request. I hope that's okay, Alex, because he has a great segment on Friday that I've thoroughly been enjoying called hashtag ask Alex. And it's just these quick, you know, two to three minute, sometimes less videos that he puts together for his audience around selling and messaging and all sorts of other good stuff. And there's tons of great pop culture references, which I love. So Alex, welcome to the show. At minimum, you will be entertained. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Delighted to be here. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, this show is all about the proof and we have some pretty phenomenal stats to show, or you have some pretty phenomenal stats. You were part of and orchestrated a social selling campaign that resulted in four point million. I'm going to say that again. Four point million quid. Is that all right? Can I use the word quid? Four point nine. Use the oh, word quid, yeah. Four point nine million quid in pipeline <laughs> and half a million dollars in net new revenue. So uh, those that are listening, they know that I like to do accents. And we had another guest from uh, from England, and we we did some Irish and Scottish accents, and 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 we will not do that again this time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let Alex tell us about about how how he was able to drive almost five million in pipeline yeah, through he, social selling. Mike is all about getting to the point. So let's just get, show us the proof, Alex. Tell us more about this campaign. You were the man in charge. Tell us all about it. Yeah, I suddenly thought that Dick Van Dyke from Mary Poppins had come on to the podcast there, Gabby. I mean, wow. <laughs> we, like to, we like to have fun is on this. Is that a compliment or, or a... Or a it's a compliment, I think. Oh, okay. I mean, you know. <laughs> Well, I'll take it. Um, right, let's get back on track. I can see Mike getting frustrated here. So uh, <laughs> I led the first ever social selling program globally in the commercial real estate sector for an organization called James Lang LaSalle. Uh, link, this is according to LinkedIn. They did case studies on me on their website if you want to uh, verify. And um, it was the first kind of foray into sales navigator and social. And what was interesting, it was working with 150 surveyors so realtors, if you um, will, where their primary function is to execute upon real estate deals, not actually sell. And this was back in 2016, um, 20, yeah, 2015, 2016. So this whole concept of social selling was still relatively new. And the concept of actually building social media into their day-to-day behaviors and a heavily siloed organization was, was, new, was new as well. So it was quite a brave thing to do um, i had to convince the uk board to part with a lot of <laughs> a lot of money back then to do this with kind of no real proof point other than trust me that this is going to um going to work what i learned uh, very quickly that when we were launching it is that we had to make it really specific to the audience um, linkedin were brilliant at kind of helping but linkedin came with kind of with just an overview you know if you're looking for this type of person or this type of person then um this is how you do this. And I had a lot of people on kind of instant chat behind the scenes going, well, we don't look for sales directors or marketing directors. So how is this relevant to me? And the other kind of challenge that we, which we had, which happened to kind of go, go through uh, on a deeper dive is the ability to prove it and the ability to join systems together. So to actually track that that action, be it that connection, that blog post, that piece of marketing, which was supported by the marketing team, which then disseminated through a personal channel, led to a, a conversation, which then led to a pitch opportunity, which then had some value to it. 
and then led to actual money in the um, in the bank, especially as some of the deal cycles were 18 months to two years to two years long. So when you get into that kind of world, it's really quite hard to prove um, inverted commas that social was the influenced it rather than being the the cause of it well but it, without that that thing never would have um uh would have happened so i've got three questions for you and we can take in which order which order whichever order you want first question is you mentioned convincing the board so i'd love to know especially back then now it's maybe a little bit easier but back in 2016 2015 like you said this wasn't really a social selling wasn't really a thing just yet how did you convince the board another question i've got is you mentioned, you know, convincing the board to part with a lot of money. I'm curious, what was the money spent on? Was it tools? Was it headcount? Was it uh, training, et cetera? And then last but not least is you just, you mentioned measurement. Again, was it tools? What was the, me- you know, what was the measurement methodology and how were you able to actually do whether we want to call it direct attribution or not? So take it whichever order you want. You might have to remind me of some of the questions, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever time yeah. it hears on a Friday, a Friday afternoon. So let's take convincing, convincing the board. So it was, it was relative, well, relatively easy. So our chief exec, an amazing, he's not chief exec anymore. He's moved onwards and upwards within the organisation. But he's he had stood up earlier that year in front of the entire UK business, saying we are going to be a digital business that happens to provide real estate um, services. I had then already proven that uh, a particular team was going to leave a deal opportunity on the table because we didn't know anybody at that uh, organization. I did a quick check into to LinkedIn and saw straight out of the gate that the then chief exec of Europe had a connection to a senior partner at this hedge fund in London. I messaged him saying, hi, Kristen, you don't know who I am, but this is what we're trying to do. How well do you know this person? Could you facilitate uh, an introduction? We got the introduction, the pitch opportunity happened. So it was 40,000 pounds sterling pitch so i think that's sort of sixty thousand us give or take um pitch we lost that's not the fault of social that's not the, the fault of that introduction failing that's further down the sales process so i then went to the board going how many other deals are we leaving literally leaving money on the table because there's this assumption when we know there's a business opportunity we did we go to our immediate network and if through our immediate network there's no way in oh it's too difficult i can't be bothered when in fact we, I think back at the time, they had 50,000 employees around the world. Imagine if we could activate that that network and how many you times that 40,000 by 50,000 employees, that suddenly becomes a far more meaningful number in terms of potential pipeline. And this is the key thing about social and social selling. It's, it's about revenue pipeline generation or digital prospecting. So they're like, okay, I kind of get that. That makes sense how much is this all going to cost and then i said well i wanted to go really big in terms of licenses and the main cost was primarily around sales navigator licenses um initially we eventually kind of agreed on um the 150 in the uh, in the uk because you kind of need that number to get the scale to be able to a leverage the virtual network the sales navigator creates to kind of shortcut those hidden connections if you will but then also enable to run this across different service lines because different service lines have different buyer personas. They have different deal cycles, different um, approaches to things. So again, I wanted to be able to kind of get a mix of the different type of deal, if you will, and deal cycle to kind of learn from um, from there. So the, the money was being spent on the, the technology, if you will, Mike, the what the board then pushed back to me, though, was, well, hang on a second, Alex. I get the concepts of the opportunity that is potentially out there, but you're really good at LinkedIn, was I think what they said to me. Well, what if the rest of the people you know, aren't good at LinkedIn? And my view is, well, we have to start somewhere. The CRM internal transformation program is just taking just too long, too difficult. This is a way to kind of shortcut that potential behavior change required in the technology de- de- deployment because the beauty with you know LinkedIn as a SaaS product all I need is that <laughs> all I need is the internet and some computers and that's that's it I don't need IT involved uh, at all so if anything it was the money once it understood the opportunity out there became less of an issue it was then but this is going to fail because behaviorally we're not in the right place 
And back to my point, I said to the CEO, I said, but guy, but you stood up in front of the entire UK business saying we're going to be a digital company. So we have to start somewhere. Otherwise, we'll be six months down the line still having this conversation. So that's actually, I, I want to pause there really quickly. I think that that's something I want to highlight is you already had a CEO that's saying we're going to be a digital first company, which is really important because what you're doing is you're having a marketing strategy that ties back to business strategy yeah. versus you're not, you're not fighting an uphill battle like that. The business strategy has already been put out there and you're technically going back. Well, okay, well, this is what we're doing. Yeah. We're turning this into a digital company. Yeah. So I'm just following whatever the business strategy is, which I think is, it's really, really important because a lot of the time marketers will try to do something that doesn't follow business strategy or fights against it. It doesn't mean it's wrong per se, but it's just that, Number one, it's so much harder to sell through. And two, it might not make sense. Yeah, absolutely. So it certainly helped. But then I think when I started to kind of challenge the fact that you said this, and they were like, oh, crap, we're actually doing this? I'm like, well, yeah. <laughs> That's the whole point of this. Can't, <laughs> can't take it back now, right? <laughs> you know, you're the one that committed this. And, you know, they, they, he did, you know, he was a brilliant, uh, you know, brilliant leader. And you know, kudos to, to the board. The attribution piece, so the main spend, Mike, was on technology, was on the tools, if you will. The the hardest, what was that? That's question one I've answered. I think I've answered question two. What was question yeah, you've answered two of them. The last one was measurement. That was hard. Measurement, the only way we could do it was surveys, was quarterly surveys, because we couldn't have, we didn't have the, in, the sync into CRM. And if we did have the sync into CRM, the CRM behavior, i.e. use of it, was just god awful. So it wouldn't have you know helped in any shape or form. And it still wouldn't be perfect because if somebody saw something and then they later came through the site, it would show up in your CRM as organic anyway. It wouldn't even show up as social. Exactly. Um, so it was surveys. And I, you know, I will fully admit, I was terrified of the first survey going out. I didn't want to preempt people. I didn't want to kind of wall them up going, please be nice, because I put my neck out on, on the line. And it was, you know, crafted in a way to you know, talk about how you're using sales now, how you're using LinkedIn, how social helps start business conversations, the good, the bad, and the and the ugly, and then try and attribute some you know pipeline op opportunity uh, to it. Was the survey internal or external? Internal. So just surveying. Like, okay, so it was internal the, to the to the sellers saying, "Hey, what are you seeing yep. from this activity?" In simple terms, how has this tool helped you generate business opportunity, and then what aspect of it? And then could you put it, can you attribute some pipeline value to that? What LinkedIn were trying to get quite cute with though, in terms of what the value the program was bringing, there was one outlier deal worth 3.9 million. So they based the 150 licenses on that 3.9 million outlier in terms, I was like, no, 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 no. That's an outlier, <laughs> not, not a job. Let's just rein it back a little bit in terms of an average deal size of more like- What, what were the average deal sizes out of curiosity? Anything from, you know, it could be 20,000 pounds on a product up to typically kind of, you know, mid hundreds is where they uh, they were. So, so yeah, so the first survey went out blind, if you are, no kind of preempting and it came out positive. So if anybody looks at the, the case study on me on the website, that's the halfway point. So all the numbers that LinkedIn are citing, we are at the halfway point of the program, whereas the, the half a mil net new and the 4.9 mil pipe was after the full 12 months. So I want to ask a question here. So this campaign was, was started back in 2015, 2016. You know, we all know that social selling wasn't a thing back then. How did you know? What were some early indicators to you or, or some ex leading examples to say, Yep, this is what we're going to do. You know, what gave you the impetus to uh, unleash your team on LinkedIn? How did you even come up with that idea, or or, wh or where did you get the idea from? So, I mean, I've been I'm ex recruitment, so I've been on LinkedIn for as long, almost as long as LinkedIn's been around. Fifteen years for me. LinkedIn's 18th birthday, I think, it was a couple of weeks ago. And then before I came in to join JLL, um, Jack Hanrassi, big shout out to him. He started me on this journey from, from LinkedIn. He came in to sell the dream that was sales navigation in my previous organization. So I'd already known that LinkedIn is a place to go and generate business, but from more of a recruitment angle, if you will. And it was sales navigator then started on this journey of social selling because what sales navigator enables organizations to do is to unlock that virtual network. And that's then where the, the really obvious easy wins are, because we all know that a referral is the best route into starting a business uh, a business conversation. Then it's around the broader piece around then how do you use your, you know, your brand, your network and content from a marketing perspective to then kind of drive that 
uh, either remaining front of mind through existing accounts, upsell, you know, cross-sell, land and expand, or driving driving net new. So I I knew that it worked. I backed myself to for it to <laughs> to work, and business had employed me to come and do something a little bit different. So yeah, it was. I'm not going to lie. It was it was scary as hell. But I I knew that if I could just unlock some of that network then the rest would start to to follow but simple things like our head of head of service office so back then created a new division kind of service office he wrote his first article on linkedin about we've got a new service office um, offering so I pushed that out organically which was picked up by two existing customers and that kind of begged the question dare i say it back to marketing going well hang on a second we are marketing this new service to apparently our clients but no one's picking up on it so how come a post that's gone out organically into dan's network has generated two business opportunities worth fifty thousand pounds which then started to because you say i'm on the sales side of the fence rather than the marketing side of the fence back then i now straddle uh, straddle both it just started to help kind of change the the internal conversation a little bit but dare i say you know a very good marketing team but they were big message big brand big kind of that side of things whereas what i was focusing on is the the one-to-one conversation the one-to-one conversations to generate business opportunity well and especially in a in an industry like commercial real estate that's you know the the as far as i understand it a lot you know those are you know handshake deals if you will right you got to see the person face to face and shake hands sign a piece of paper kind of yeah very relationship driven which sometimes to the detriment of individuals um but yeah it's it's the yeah we kind of know who you are it's more the you know the, the relationship absolutely bang on mike what were some of the initial challenges that you faced when executing this this campaign uh what's linkedin i can't remember my password um this is this is a complete waste of time how do i update my some real you know what i hadn't necessarily anticipated is that for some people we were coming from a very very low base just to get them up and running on LinkedIn, let alone getting kind of more sophisticated around uh, what, you know, such a powerful tool the sales navigator could do. And what was also interesting is that the HR team had their view on, so who to pick, who should we bring uh, onto this? My view was, well, LinkedIn can see behind the scenes who's active on LinkedIn. So just tell LinkedIn, get LinkedIn to tell us who are the top 150 active people in the firm. And we'll start with them because that's a good starting point. Whereas the HR business uh, or the HR talent team said, no, 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 here are 80 or so identified future business developers. What was interesting is very quickly, the 80 future BD people kind of fell by the wayside. And we then work with LinkedIn data to then bring in those that were more active on LinkedIn to do it. And that in itself was the starting to help prove that the way that you did things back then maybe is not the way that we need to do things moving forward. Nobody could have predicted what's happened in the last uh, 15 months or so, which has really forced this change upon every organization on, on the planet. But it was an it was an interesting di- dynamic, and that's the other thing that um, I learned quickly is the beauty with you know, those licenses is, is they were fluid, so the firm owned them. So if somebody after a couple of months just wasn't getting the best out of it, and I can see that from the analytics, it's like, cool, no worries, we'll take it off you and we'll go and give it to someone else, and we'll get to a point where we have a much better kind of well-oiled machine working together rather than wasting money or forcing people just to engage with something that they have zero interest in doing. So what about training? Um, you know, uh, you kind of we're kind of getting to that point, I think, anyway. But, you know, you mentioned one of the um, objections, if you will, initially was, well, you're great at like at LinkedIn, Alex. Yeah. But what if everybody else sucks, for lack of a better word? <laughs> um, and it sounds like that might have been the case with a few people. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's... So what did you do? Was there formal training that you started putting in yeah. place? Uh, was, I don't know. Slack groups or Slack, Slack didn't exist back Slack then. Slack didn't like, exist back then. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think what was around. Was around Yammer. Like we just launched Yammer back then. Crikey. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> that in itself was a, was a challenge. Getting people off Blackberries onto like an iPhone was, was a challenge. Um, so, Isn't it funny how, fi- how how much difference five years makes? Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, LinkedIn were brilliant in terms of supporting with kind of group uh, group classroom uh, sessions. Uh, so kind of the, the this is the mechanics of how the tool works, if you if you will. But it became ev- evident very quickly that it was had to be one to one handholding. That was the only real way that I could get the the engagement. 
and because of the different levels of skills and expertise, but also more importantly, the different people marketing and selling to different people meant you kind of had to tailor it to them to make it relevant. Because the minute that they didn't feel it was relevant, you know, this is still true today. The minute that someone doesn't think it's relevant for me, what's in it for me, how is this going to help me achieve my goals? You just lose people. So it was a combination of these are the mechanics of what you actually do, followed by, you know, just a, a lot of effort and, and hand-holding back <laughs> back then to kind of move people along the um, uh, along the cliched word journey, if, if we're going to use that. <laughs> yep. Yeah. You, you've mentioned a few times that LinkedIn was very much part of this pilot campaign. Can you share a little bit about what their role was? You know, what, what, what was their involvement in this campaign? Yeah, absolutely. So Robert Fox is my account manager. He was absolutely um, uh, amazing. Uh, Anita Windersman is our customer success uh, manager. And they were just really supportive in terms of what we were doing, providing that training. Now, it helped that we were spending a well, They were obviously interested in money, selling so. and getting Sales Navigator out there and making that case study. Yeah, exactly. Um, that gave us, obviously, access to more of their, uh, their resource. But it, it had to be a blend. They had to, and this was the interesting piece, is that kind of bends to my will, if you will, because I wasn't allowing them to come in and do the cookie cutter approach as they would take with a you know typical SaaS tech company or a B2B company, because in professional services, that just doesn't fly. And if you take that approach, you're going to lose people immediately. And that was like on session one, when they were talking about looking for sales leaders or marketing leaders, I was people going, we don't sell to sales leaders, we don't sell to marketing leaders, this, this tool's irrelevant. Because the, so the realtors, the surveyors couldn't make that lateral move in their mind that it didn't actually matter what you're typing into the tool you type in sales director or you type in property director it's by the buyer but they couldn't see that because they live and breathe property 24 7 so rapidly had to kind of work and help linkedin to shift that that side of things in terms of when you talk to my people you have to use real estate terminology so here's the sort of things that you do but um, they moved to that very, very quickly. So, so yeah, it helps. But as we all know, if you spend more money with a company, they tend to offer you more, offer you more help. So. <laughs> yep. So I'm, I'm two. I get one question and, and with a follow up right after it. I suppose is, what did the social selling process, if you will, or framework look like back then? And then, obviously, times have changed. How do you? Because obviously you haven't been at that company for what a couple of years now, mm -hmm. right? How do you believe that process would need to evolve to be to, to still be relevant and work today, or maybe it doesn't? Good question. And so is that one question, or two, or the question with the follow-up question? <laughs> I guess it's a question with a follow-up question. What was the process, and how do you think it needs to? needs to evolve. I've learned I need to get both my questions out because otherwise Gabby will jump in and then we'll go down or he'll be path. Or he'll be notorious we'll at interrupting it. me or worse, the guest. Or there's that and then thing. we fight about it after the show. So he's trying to get everything out right now, Alex, so that so that I don't get exactly. on his case after the show. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that was like disorganized chaos, isn't it? Right. So um, what are the principles of, of social sellings? Actually, that they remain the same to what they totally are, are today your personal brand your network and content very very simple so your personal brand was when you meet someone for the first time online and of course back then it, it, it was different because we weren't so into the personal brand side of things it was just make sure you got a half decent looking linkedin profile that makes you stand out from everybody else and you're you know at least unique rather than just be another Realtor, you know, accountant, lawyer, what have you on uh, on LinkedIn. Your network is critical, absolutely, because the bigger your network on LinkedIn, the bigger the network. In fact, any social channel doesn't have to be LinkedIn, but LinkedIn is obviously the go-to for most B2B organizations. So the larger your network, the larger network of influence you have, the larger network of referral opportunities you have, and more importantly, the larger the network of the organization in terms of connecting to their clients, the more powerful Sales Navigator becomes through Team Link and Team Link Extend, in creating that virtual network because sales navigator is actually only as good as the behavior of a company on linkedin so if a company on linkedin isn't connecting sales navigator can't magic those connections from thin air and then the final piece was around um content and making sure the content is you know relevant is, is appropriate and disseminated you know in a way that resonates with the audience so that that still remains true today 
What's interesting, though, in terms of you look at what's happening in the narrative around personal brand, it is becoming much, much more personal, much more kind of this is me, this is the person, this is what I stand for outside of the the, the day job. You know, we've seen in terms of what's happened over the last 15 to 18 months. We also also have a new gen, you know, back then, the I lose the generation of what have you, but they would have been at the start of their careers. Now we move forwards. They are further up the uh, the food chain, if you uh, if you will, in terms of you know, seniority and decision making, etc. Therefore, they have a different perspective on on social. So that personal branding side of things, I think, is is much much more uh, important. The network remains the same in terms of network. The content side of things, certainly on LinkedIn, is also uh, pivoting. If we're going to use a, a cliche word again is much more human and actually the conversation is much more important on uh, on LinkedIn. Back then, 2015, 2016, you could probably get away with broadcast. Whereas where we are now today, that just doesn't wash. That doesn't wash at all, we just ignore it. So it is very much the, the human conversation on LinkedIn to start those business conversations and then bring those business conversations offline into either you know this virtual world that we find ourselves in in this environment or at some point you know face-to-face meetings and conferences so those are probably the two biggest changes that i've noticed since doing it back then to where we are um are today but the fundamental principles remain the same yeah yeah and just for everyone listening the campaign what was the duration of the campaign uh probably 15 months end to end so i kind of had a six month six month lead up in terms of we're not measuring anything because we need to, this needs to give people the get go to get going, understand it, shift about those seats that we know aren't going to engage and so on. And then when I was happy with it, I was like, right, we're going to pull the trigger January through to um, December because that's how they ran their um, uh, their financial year. Okay. And again, just to reiterate those phenomenal stats. So in this 15 month, let's, let's say the 12 months was really when you were measuring and when it was like really dialed up. Uh, $4.9 million in pipeline generated through one of, probably one of the first social selling campaigns ever executed on LinkedIn at scale. In the commercial real estate sector, there were organizations like SAP and Vodafone who had done it in their sectors, but certainly in the CRE sector, yes, we, we were the first. Okay, thank you for that distinction. And all in all, at the end of the campaign, out of that 4.9 million pipeline, there was half a million dollars in net new revenue. Is that correct? Yeah, executed, executed, invoiced, billed, done. Wow, wow. Obviously, there could have been more after the fact. That... Yeah, and that's the thing. Some of those deals could have converted A after I've, I've, I've gone. So it, it could have been more. But that's what I was able to, you know, hand on heart, on paper, attribute to, to what I was doing. And just out of curiosity, after that, you know, 12 to 15 month time frame, and you reported the findings to your team and, and to your, your executives, what was some of the feedback that you had received from both the executives, as well as your sales team that maybe especially some of them that may have been reluctant or may have pushed back initially? What was some of the feedback that you heard? Well, the fact that I was made redundant at the end of 2016 maybe maybe says uh, said something, but that was more to uh, our relationship with Europe and uh, and Brexit uh, Brexit happening. Uh, it, it... Well, and and for our American American listening, made redundant means that you were you lost your job. I lost you, my job. You were let go. I was asked yes. to, uh, to to leave quietly with a check in my back pocket. Um, <laughs> the it, it was interesting. What looking back, and it was an amazing time. It was too early. I, I was too early for them in terms of what was happening. And because of the uncertainty that the Brexit vote created in within the commercial real estate sector, I wasn't the only one. And because I was also a round peg in a square hole, they couldn't really kind of understand that you were one of the highest paid national directors in, in the country, yet you weren't executing revenue yourself at the level that a national director should. And I was trying to argue that argue that's not what you're paying me to do. Mm-hmm. And if I hadn't been here, then none of this would have happened. But it was just it was just a challenging time for you know for, for all businesses in terms of the uncertainty that that vote had uh, had created. So I didn't take it to to heart in terms of as a as a failure. It was just victim of circumstance, if you will. And without ironically that happening be you know guy the ceo giving the platform to be able to to do that that was the launch pad to take me to where 
I am today to enable me to sit here and you know conversations with such amazing people such as yourself to be able to work for organizations such as such as lately because it gave me the the framework and the 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 framework to start with because then I went out on my own I said you know what I'm not going back to the corporate space I want to start consulting back into the business I'm going to put into practice everything that I've learned over the last X years of my my career plus that piece with with what have you and I'm going to be the external consultant going in and and, and doing that so yeah, it was still very much a success in my in my eyes because I'd still be, I think, in a corporate machine somewhere, not necessarily um, enjoying life rather than having the, the, a roller coaster. I mean, it's been pretty terrifying last 15 months, I'm not going to lie. Um, but yeah, it's been it, it's been an amazing five years since uh, since then. So I still see it as a success. I, I see it as a tremendous success. I mean, what you orchestrated, the fact that you were going up against a lot of varying uh, degrees of interest and people embracing it or pushing it resistance. away. More um, resistance than embracing, I would suggest, Gabby. <laughs> right, right. But then doing something that has never been done at scale for your industry, yeah. you, you know, utilizing LinkedIn, which is, you know, the 8,000 pound gorilla, you know, they can kind of yeah. do what they want, say what they want. And yet they were really looking to partner with you and be and be a good steward of this campaign. So I think it's a tremendous success. I commend and applaud your outlook on what happened. You know, I have and I love the way you Brits say made redundant. It's just so much more <laughs> eloquent than I was fired or I got laid off, you know. <laughs> Um, I had been made redundant a few times in my career and it stings and yeah. it hurts and it's it's a blow to your no, ego. But nobody called it being made redundant though. No, not here, <laughs> not here, but I'm going to use the term. And it is a sting to to one's ego, but the fact that you know you took that as an opportunity to launch your career and end up where you are today lately is phenomenal. Um, well, it's time for us to get to the point. Unless, Mike, you have another question. No, actually, my question is pretty much going to be getting to the point. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so Let's get to the point. Let's, let's get, get to, to the point. point. So the, the my question is really about, you met, You know, really what you what you did was what's today called an employee advocacy campaign, social selling. Like it was, it was SMEs and sellers going out there and talking about the company and themselves mm -hmm. and whatnot. When you and I spoke uh, earlier, you had mentioned that most advocacy campaigns fail. Um, I'd love to to have you talk about why do you believe they fail and how do you do it right? Like if someone's going to go do it now and do this thing today in 2021, what does it need to look like to not fail? We've got another another hour to do another podcast on this, <laughs> on this mic. So that's a big topic to get to the point on quickly. Uh, the biggest challenge with EA programs is the uh, the what's in it for me at the employee level. So if you're not actually going to an employee level, whether it's whether it's to support an augmented social selling program or just more broadly to activate the voice in the network of your employees, most of the time, if they a don't even think that social media is relevant for them anyway, you're not going to get off to the to the races. And then b it's the why should I share this corporate stuff into my network? My and that's the thing this is my network. My network aren't interested in what the corporate machine has got to um, to say. Then the next layer is you then layer technology in, into this. The challenge with that is that another platform, another thing that I have to log into to uh, to do, or it's the if they're prepared to then share the social post onto whatever channel it is that they are pushing it out to. The idea is that then the employee will personalize or add their own, you know, human spin to that post. But we don't because humans are lazy, right? We're lazy. We always look for the least path of, of resistance to do something. So then you have lots of employees just sharing exactly the same thing on uh, social, which is what I then refer to as corporate vomit, because everyone is just sharing the same thing at the same time. It's even worse when you see it at an exec level. And I see you think, oh, the CEO's actually put a bit of, bit of thought into that. And it's like, oh, look, the CFO has got exactly the same on their post. Oh, look, the CMO <laughs> has got exactly the same on their post. Hmm. Now, one of this isn't working if the CMO can't even get this, this right. So it's the, I, I believe it's they think they've got a piece of technology, which will then give them the quick fix to the solution to get more shit out there. Forgive my swearing. That's not what this is all all about but it's it's the employee has to understand at an individual level why am i being asked to do it and what's in it for me otherwise i'm not going to um going to do it 
and more so now in terms of how LinkedIn's actually um, penalizing that. You know, if you overpost on LinkedIn during the course of the week, you actually your post will start to get suppressed uh, in terms of in terms of that. And the fact that LinkedIn actually is rewarding the conversation more than more than necessarily posting. You're better to run an EA program and have all your employees probably posting once a week, twice a week, max out of you know out of a um, a tool, and then allow them to do more of the the human conversation, all the likes and the comments over and above everything else. But that doesn't normally fit the narrative in terms of we need the views, the impressions, the likes. We need these big numbers to wow our executives who have no idea what it means. They go, oh okay, that sounds good in terms of number of impressions and engagements. Going move on to the next, and the CMO goes, phew you know, save for another week. <laughs> yeah. Well, what, you know, you mentioned this a few times already. What do you believe is the benefit for the employee? You know, as employers and thinking about businesses and companies out there, certainly we understand what the benefit is for the company owners, the the, the, the leaders of the company. But what do you personally believe is the benefit for the individual to get out there on LinkedIn and to be active and, and also to not only be active in promoting themselves, but also active in elevating the brand voice of the company. Well, it's it's it, it's that it's it's the first pit, and also it depends on the it depends on the employee in terms of where they sit. So, from a sales perspective, for the most part, I'd hope it's pretty obvious as to why you need to be out there and um, and active. But, but for everybody else, and this is the thing, it doesn't necessarily have to be for everyone. But if you're passionate and you care about the firm that you work for, you should be proud to be able to talk about the sort of the, the, the bigger things that they are doing. And the firms that do get it right, you know, they showcase talent. They showcase the the employees that, that are uh, that are out there in terms of, hey, this person's done this cool charity event or this person's running this marathon or this person's done a bake sale and put it out there on social. Because that then starts to make them feel more connected to the um, leadership team. And that's the other thing in terms of how that you can leverage almost on an internal aspect. It doesn't always have to be um, externally facing. It's creating that connectivity between um, leader and uh, employee. Just think how powerful it is for the CEO just to like someone's post. You like the janitor's post or someone junior. That's so powerful from creating that employee engagement and the want to work for for the firm. And this is what I always say to, to clients. I say, if your employees aren't prepared to talk about the you know things like diversity in the workplace or lgbtq or black lives matter online you've got a much bigger problem culturally than trying to get an you know an employee advocacy program off, off the ground because that suggests me your employees don't believe you they don't believe the leadership in terms of what you're you're leading with with purpose which is now what we're um you know we're hearing and kind of esg and sustainability if they don't believe truly believe that that's what the company's doing then they're not going to want to engage and share with the corporate message online if they don't believe it and that then is a bigger cultural challenge that hr and talent and leadership need to tackle and maybe have a long hard look at themselves in the mirror and just try to think about what, what is the culture of the organization and the business that we're, we're trying to achieve so that's where i i see this all all going and where I see the, the the benefits to the employee that if they feel culturally engaged, that's a word I thought I don't know, made that up internally to the business, then they should want to do it once they know they've got the permission, which I haven't talked about, the permission is the big thing to do it and show a bit of personality, show a bit of what have you. So an example of this, a sales loft, brilliant organization, Tom Boston, go and find him. He was an SDR seller brilliant at creating content, video content, very funny video um, content. And his his leadership team allowed him to, to do it because it started to generate business, it started to generate leads, but then gave an insight to the culture of the company. He's now recently moved to a newly created role called social sales evangelist. And he's actually moved into marketing. So he's moved into the marketing function as a former salesperson to help start to bridge that gap. I'm actually getting on my podcast next week, I think, to, to record a, a series around that to understand what that means and what, that's, uh, what that looks like. It's interesting. There's been a lot of that because we're in the process of recruiting for a number of roles. And what, we've been, what I've been seeing is there's a lot of people moving into that uh, kind of demand generation roles that are, that are often former SDRs and BDRs. Yeah. yeah. And you kind of foreshadowed one of my other questions, Alex, and that is, what do you believe is the responsibility today of companies when it comes to 
educating or giving their team the tools to build a personal brand? That's a really good question because I think companies are going to be in for a rude awakening over the next five years or so with the next generation of employee coming through, especially Gen Alpha, who are, I think Generation Alpha is their teenagers at the moment. You see what's happening on TikTok. People always laugh at me about TikTok. You see what's happening on TikTok right now. It's nuts. So creativity, the expressivity, it's again a flake on a Friday at the end of the, end of the week here. <laughs> Is, a, is amazing. And some of the skills of these um, these boys and girls is also uh, incredible. So there's going to be an expectation that I'm allowed to do this and I want to do this. Of course, within the confines, that's the wrong word, but within the kind of the, the guidelines of you still represent us as a brand online, that it's, it's almost the behavior change has got to happen at the leadership level to understand that we need to kind of harness and bottle this creativity, if you will, and nurture it in a way that we can then benefit in an authentic way to help drive the brand. In terms of the, the tools, I mean, you don't, everyone's got a phone. You TikTok, the editing facilities on TikTok and the filters and stuff is absolutely insane <laughs> in terms of what you can create. But you look at what LinkedIn's doing cover story creator mode linkedin story oh this isn't facebook why has linkedin got stories okay no new <laughs> stories for you but stories works across every other flipping platform even youtube's gone down the short route in terms of youtube shorts because they recognize this is how the next generation of employee communicate with each other other conversation in terms of they can't seem to have physical human conversations with people different <laughs> different <laughs> That's a topic for another another time. <laughs> now we have to actually shake hands and talk to a person yes. in person. How do we right. do this? <laughs> well, just to put a quick bow around the conversation here, for anyone listening, this segment of the show, Get to the Point, we want to try to make it very easy for our guests listening to you know they've heard your phenomenal case story. They've seen the proof of what it can do. And so what are some of the tips or recommendations that you would provide our listeners today on how they can start a, let's say, you know, social selling, employee advocacy, personal branding initiative uh, at their company? What are some of those, you know, very basic five tips or so that, that you feel are critical in getting something like this off the ground? Uh, first and foremost, I'm more than happy to talk to anybody and give my advice on a one-to-one -on -one basis if that's uh, helpful. Uh, start small. I probably went a little too big when I was doing it back then in hindsight, but I'm you know, a typical salesperson. Let's shoot for the moon and then see what, uh, see what happens. Uh, start small, prove it, um, be brave, the whole Google, break things fast and, and, uh, and move on. Accept that there will be failure, but that's fine. As long as you move on and learn from that failure, make it fun, enjoy it. It may well be a technology investment that is required, or it could well be you've already got the technology stack in place. You're just not using, you just don't know the capability of the stack that you already uh, that you already have. So get in there, get amongst it and start to just learn what is the art of the possible with this. That might then require some difficult conversations internally that we know it can do this. So allow us to do this and um, permission from the top. The key thing is if you don't have that permission from the top, you're never going to get this off the ground. And if you can get a sponsor who's prepared to actually lead from the front, and post some stuff on social and kind of go through what that feels like themselves, It's uh, it'll be far, it'll be uh, much, much uh, easier. But just get started. Don't don't sit there and um and ah. Uh, you know, it's the old Chinese proverb, when was the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago? When's the best time to plant a tree now? Yeah, yeah. Any favorite tools or resources that you feel are critical for, for getting started in this type of endeavor? Uh, lately, obviously. Um, obviously. <laughs> lately, obviously, for an employee advocacy, employee advocacy play. And if anyone wants to find out why, then please get in touch with me and I can uh, I can show you. Sales Navigator genuinely is the best lead gen tool out there on the planet by a country mile. It is pretty inexpensive in terms of the outcomes that it can generate for you in terms of pipeline, but that requires a behavior change around social. A half-decent CRM system, and there are enough out there, and the attributes, so if you haven't got a... Um, a code in whatever your CRM system is, which says this sale was generated through social. So you can then start to record that back then and start to give some proof points around pipeline. Remember, this is pipeline creation. This isn't about converting to, to win, although social can absolutely and employee advocacy programs can help that. 
it's almost digital prospecting. And this was the argument I, when I was in my consulting world when sales reps would go, okay, I'll get all this, but you know, how can I prove this works? And I said, hang on, no, no, no. This isn't about revenue in the bank. If your sales teams do what I say and listen to what I do and execute on that, they will generate pipeline. I'm not here to then help those salespeople and train those salespeople to convert that pipeline to a win and revenue. If you want sales trainers, I can go into my, my, my contact book and give you some sales trainers, but I'm helping you get that conversation started. If you don't back your sales team to convert, Social hasn't failed. I haven't failed. Sales Navigator hasn't failed. What are the technologies? Your sales processes or your sales ability and your sales talents has failed. And one last question from me before we get to the lightning round. This one might might be a, a little bit of a lengthier response from you, but I'm, I'm curious to your thoughts on this. For those listening today that are really saying, okay, you know what? I got to get my team out there. I got to I got to enable them, give them the permission to have this personal brand create content and and also weave that narrative of the company's story into their personal brand story. What do you believe are the types of training or resources or maybe some books or blogs that you think somebody out there that's that's new to this or may have a myopic view of what this needs to be, where would you point them? What direction? What what tools or resources would you would you point them into that direction? Well, LinkedIn Learning just has I mean, an abundance of how to, and a lot of it's free at the moment still, how to videos on uh, on all of this. Subscribe to the LinkedIn marketing blog, subscribe to the LinkedIn sales blog. Um, I'm more than happy to share my YouTube um, channel. It sounds very grand. Um, I have no life outside of this, so I do record how to videos in terms of um, getting the best out, out of LinkedIn. I mean, there are lo- I can again give the links to this. There are loads of books out there, a brilliant book, one of the original pioneers on this by Timothy Hughes. Look up Timothy Hughes on um, LinkedIn, and he he was the he's the forefather, if you will, on this book, social media for game changers and um, change makers, or something to that effect. We'll put the links somewhere. In- we'll link you in the show notes. <laughs> well, well, yeah, we'll add all that good stuff. Um, well, Alex, it's been a phenomenal pleasure to hear about this campaign, to see the proof, and learn from your experience. You're just as delightful in person as you are on social media, and I would say probably even funnier in person. <laughs> We have the benefit of doing this, you know, live rather than record. Well, it will be recorded for our listeners, but for us, it's live. So we get to see you sort of at your most raw. And it's just been delightful. You've you've brought a lot of value and exciting conversation to our show. It is time now for the lightning round. Mike. Lightning round. All right. A couple of quote unquote rapid fire questions. So uh, what is the main KPI you use to evaluate marketing success? Money. What's a new marketing strategy or tactic you're looking forward to testing out this year? Dynamic guided selling. We'll have to turn into death of a salesman to know what that really is. Seth Mars, he's one of the analysts from Forrester talking about it. He's on my, he's already on there, guest on there. It's out there in the, in the raw, so you can learn more about that. <laughs> okay, excellent. What is a tool or platform you use in your work that you couldn't live without? Well, that's a tough one. Um, Lately, obviously, uh, outside of that, Sales Navigator. What is your least favorite business word or phrase? Pivot. (laughs) (laughs) Pivot. It means so many different things to so many different people. It means only one thing. It means only one thing. If your listeners don't know what that one thing means, then shame on them. (laughs) I know. That's the funny part. (laughs) uh what is your favorite podcast uh my first millions and along the same lines what is your favorite business or marketing book uh getting naked by patrick ciccone is that a business book it sounds a little risque (laughs) google it we'll we'll have to look into that one (laughs) add it to the show notes Um, and who is a B2B marketing expert you admire on LinkedIn? Uh, Justin Michael. You need to get Justin Michael on this show. He, he will blow, he will blow your brain. Go to salesborg.ai. All right. Is he also from the UK? No, he's from, uh, your fair isle, the US. Oh, excellent. We'll have to look him up. Justin, if you're listening, we're coming for you on LinkedIn. <laughs> um, all right. <laughs> Be warned. Be warned. Yes. <laughs> all right. A couple of bonus questions here for you, Alex. Twitter versus LinkedIn. Different audiences. 
Okay. Favorite British band? The Prodigy. Prodigy, okay. How do you take your tea? Milk and sugar. Black, I'm assuming, right? No, milk and sugar. That's an English thing. How do you take your oh, tea? I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, black tea. I mean, like Darjeeling, Indian no, no, black no, no. tea, right? Oh, my days. Oh, my days. Tea. Tea, English okay. Tea. <laughs> what a chance <laughs> stuff. I have my tea, milk, and one sugar, and the milk goes in once the tea bag has been taken out. None of this horribleness of putting the milk in when the tea bag's still in there. So PG tips, Yorkshire tea, <laughs> a dash of milk once the tea bag is out with a splash of sugar. That's how I take my tea. <laughs> and there you have it, folks. If you're ever in England, don't you dare make that mistake. <laughs> All right. Soccer question, because we know oh. you are a soccer fan, football, football fan, football, football fan. fan. Sorry about that. Um, mate, who is your favorite all-time football player? I don't really follow football, if I'm honest. Yeah, no, I don't. I'm more of a Formula One fan, so I can give you my 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 best F1. Fan. Let's go with that. Who was your Who was your favorite Formula One? Uh, I think probably yeah, Nigel Mansell back in the day in the eighties with his uh, his moustache. Okay. I also saw that you enjoy downhill skiing. Where do you hit the slopes? Uh, Have to be where I honeymooned with my wonderful wife um, Nicola. I went to um, Vale and then Breckenridge for two weeks. It was unbelievable. Probably Breck. Absolutely love Breck. Amazing time out there. Um, Imperial Imperial chair for those that know. You hike to the top, and it's an immense downhill all the way to the uh, uh, to the bar. Lovely. Well, Alex, it's been a delight to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can our listeners connect with you? Uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. You mentioned and YouTube. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> You really don't you really don't have much of a life. You better no. take that wife of yours and go skiing sometime soon. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Alex. We enjoyed having you on the show today. This is one of our favorite topics, uh, something that we think more companies need to be embracing today and encouraging and unleashing their team in social selling, but also employee advocacy and building a personal brand. So thank you so much. Delightful to have you on. And everyone listening, we look forward to Having you back here again, same time next week on Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point. Thank you. It's been fun. Thanks for tuning in to the Show Me the Proof, Get to the Point podcast. Join us weekly for new episodes and seriously smart B2B marketing success stories. We'll show you the proof and get to the point every time. Find additional resources on the ProofPoint website, www.proofpoint.marketing, including the full episode library with show notes, guides, templates, and more great resources. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe, and please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. 